We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on local now, channel 525. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. This guy traveled thousands of miles to share the gospel with as many people as possible. And here's the challenge to all of us. Question, how far will we go out of our way to share Christ? How far will we go out of our way to share Christ? Some of us won't even walk across the office where we work. Some of us won't even walk across the street to share with our neighbor. Paul travels thousands of miles to share with whoever he can. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through the book of Acts. To say that the Apostle Paul was a busy guy is an understatement. Paul traveled thousands of miles in three missionary journeys to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul never wavered in his mission. He faithfully served Jesus until he lost his life in Rome for the cause of Christ. In today's message, Pastor Gary challenges you to examine your commitment to Jesus. Christ does not want a half-in, half-out, lukewarm follower. Jesus gave everything he had to save you and have a relationship with you. The only reasonable response to this radical love is a full commitment to him. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary for today's message from the book of Acts, chapter 21. You don't have to abandon everything just because you believe in Christ. However, there are some Jews who come to faith in Christ and they say, well, now our liberty and our salvation is in Christ, so we don't need to practice all the feasts, all the festivals, all these things. And Paul says, and that person's okay too. So he doesn't dismiss this, but he, he doesn't embrace it either. He just basically is like, you know what, we, we can do whatever we want to do. If you remember, actually, back in, I think it was Acts 18, when Paul was leaving Corinth, he, he shaved his head, which was the end of a Nazarite vow. So he himself would practice some of the Jewish traditions. But he's going to also talk later in his epistles about how, you know, don't use the law as a basis for becoming righteous. That's why he talks about even circumcision. He's like, circumcision was a rite of Judaism, but, but you don't need to be circumcised in order to be more right with God. So there's this delicate balance. But um, in Colossians 2, let me just share this with you as well, because this is a, another one of what uh, Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 2. 
verses 16 and 17. And th- th- these are important verses about this as well. But this is what he says, Colossians 2, 16. He says, Therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. He says, These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. One of the beautiful things, and we have some folks in our own church who are Jewish but they believe in Jesus as Messiah. You don't stop being Jewish because you believe in Jesus. Uh, You are now considered either a Messianic Jew or uh, some refer to themselves as a completed Jew. That's offensive to, to some Jews, but anyway. So whatever you want to call yourself. But the beauty of being Jewish and a believer in Jesus is, is that you have the richness of the traditions and the festivals and the feasts, which all point to Christ. And when you're a believer in Christ, you can see how it all points to Christ. You know, until you come to faith in Christ, a Jew may not necessarily understand all of how Christ is revealed through every feast and every festival, but he is, because all of it pointed to Christ. And that's why Paul says there in Galatians 2.17 that these are a shadow of what was to come, but the reality, however, was fulfilled in Christ. Because you can see Jesus throughout every Jewish tradition, Jewish feast, Jewish celebration, Jewish holy day. And, and it's a wonderful revelation of who Christ is. By the way, on the Jewish calendar, this Friday at sundown begins Passover. Christ is revealed throughout the whole Passover. And when they practice and have a Seder dinner, all of the elements of the Seder dinner actually point to Christ. And if you are a Jew who've come to faith in Christ, you now see the richness of the expression of Christ through all of the Jewish feasts and celebrations. And so Paul is basically saying, you can go back to Acts 21 now. Paul is basically being encouraged by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. You know, you, you need to take into consideration that there are a lot of Jewish believers in Jesus. And they think you're anti-Judaism. They think you're anti-the law and that you've you know, completely abandoned your Jewish traditions. Which isn't true. I mean, all of it was fulfilled in Christ. But... But in order to make those Jewish believers realize that you're not anti-Jew, why don't you participate in this ceremonial purification of these four particular guys? And so he, so he goes along with it. Verse uh, 26, the next day Paul took the men and purified himself along with them. And then he went to the temple to give notice of the date when the days of purification would end and the offering would be made for each of them. So these are, these are four Jewish Christian guys who apparently took a Nazarite vow and now they're bringing it to a conclusion uh, because it talks about shaving their heads back in verse 24. And so Paul does this publicly so that Jewish believers can realize, oh, all right, he's, he's not anti-Jew after all because he's a part of this whole purification thing. Well, he does this, but it raises the alarm of some others who are not Jewish believers. Look further, verse 27. When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Men of Israel, help us. This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against our people and our law and this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple area and defiled this holy place. Greeks being Gentiles. Now, now they weren't, but they thought they were. Verse 29, they had previously seen Trophimus and the Ephesian in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him 
into the temple area. Um, you know, when you break down the word assumed, right? All right. So, you know, don't make assumptions. All right. It's not good. And so they make a wrong assumption here. And it's going to get a guy arrested and, and almost killed. And that's what happens when we make wrong assumptions. Don't make assumptions. Verse, verse 30. The whole city was aroused. Which sounds a little racy, but uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it almost sounds like the message translation. Um, the whole city was upset, folks, all right? And the people came running from all directions. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple, and immediately the gates were shut. And while they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd... And when the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Now, again, the Bible tells us this is Passover because Paul was racing back to Jerusalem for Passover. So during Passover, the city of Jerusalem would swell from a couple hundred thousand to a couple million because people would make pilgrimage to Jerusalem for Passover. So, I mean, there's an angry mob here at this point, and they're, and they're beating Paul. I mean, they're just, they're just ruthlessly beating Paul. And so, you know, the Roman guards, because the Romans... This is part of the Roman Empire at the time. They're supposed to be peacekeepers in Rome. This is a high population time during the feast. And so they come rushing to Paul's defense here. They break up the fight. Verse 33, the commander came up and arrested him, arrested Paul, and ordered him to be bound with two chains. And then he asked who he was and what he had done. Now, doesn't it make more sense that you should ask who, who you are and what you've done before you actually arrest somebody? But anyway... So that's what they do. In verse 34, some in the crowd shouted one thing and some another. And since the commander could not get at the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. So it, it, it's just a riot here. And, and anyway, verse 35, when Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great, he had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowd that followed him kept shouting away with him, away with him. Is this, is this reminiscent of anything? City of Jerusalem, 27 years earlier, away with him, crucify him. That's what, that's what they did to Jesus. And here, and here Paul is now. Verse 37, as the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, may I say something to you? Do you speak Greek, he replied, because Paul addressed him in Greek, which was the common language of the day. And it indicated that he was more of an educated man and the commander didn't, didn't think he was an educated man. In fact, look at verse 38. Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the desert some time ago? So the commander has confused him with somebody else, thinking that he's Egyptian. I don't know. Maybe he walked like an Egyptian. I don't know. That's an old song. It dated me again. Google it. You'll love it. But anyhow, um, he's actually Turkish because Paul is from uh, Tarsus in in Cilicia, which is in Turkey. So he's Turkish. So, you know, he's, he's Middle Eastern complexions, but the, the Roman commander thought that he's, uh, that he's Egyptian, and he confused him. So aren't you, aren't you that guy who's this terrorist, led 4,000 people out of the desert? Paul answered in verse 39, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. Having received the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. And when they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic. Now, some of your Bibles have a footnote. And it says Hebrew uh, versus Aramaic. Um, it's likely Aramaic. And here's the reason why. 
the Old Testament was originally written in the Hebrew language, most of it. There are some sections of it in Daniel and in Ezra that are written in Aramaic. Because when the Jews were taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar in 586 B.C. and hauled off to Babylon, they became absorbed into the Babylonian community and the Babylonian community was then replaced by the Persian Empire. And so the Babylonian Persian influence, Aramaic is an ancient Semitic language that they ended up picking up because they're living over in Persia. It is an ancient language uh, that is still spoken of in some circles of um, Iran, Persia. At the time, the Jews who had gone off into captivity for 70 years came back speaking Aramaic. Now, the, the scriptures were still in Hebrew. So the Jews still were able to read Hebrew, but they didn't speak it. That was not their common language. During the days of Jesus, Jesus spoke Aramaic. He didn't speak Hebrew. They read Hebrew scriptures. They heard Hebrew language, but their common language was Aramaic. Now, if they're conversing during that day in the Roman Empire, they may have also known Latin. They may have also known Greek. Uh, but the typical language of the Jews was Aramaic. When was the Hebrew language revived? When did they end up speaking Hebrew again? It wasn't until the late 1800s. You know how the ancient Hebrew language was revived? Because God put it on the heart of one man, Eleazar ben Yehuda. Eleazar ben Yehuda, in the middle of the 1800s, said, we're going to bring back the ancient language of God's people. He's a Jew. And he said, you know, we brought back Aramaic from our Persian captivity. We need to revive the language that God has given us. And so he decided in his home, he said to his kids, no speaking. Well, back in that day, actually, it was more Yiddish at that point. And the European mixture of Aramaic and Hebrew, it became more Yiddish after World War II. Uh, uh, sorry, uh, I'm dating myself. This is the 1800s. World War II was after that, but it was still a combination in the European language of Yiddish, which carried over into World War II primarily. But in the 1800s, Eliezer ben Yehuda said to his own kids, we're no longer speaking any other language in this home except Hebrew. And the kids had to learn it around the kitchen table. It was the first homeschool family, and they're going to learn, we're going to learn Hebrew in this family. And then as he began to challenge his Jewish friends about reviving the ancient language, then other people started to speak Hebrew to him and he to them. Until that ancient language, which had for all intents and purposes died except for being recorded in the scriptures, was miraculously revived because God put it on the heart of one man. Now, again, the Jews understood Hebrew because they read their scriptures, but they never spoke Hebrew until Eleazar ben Yehuda in the late 1800s revived an ancient language and God used it now today in Israel. They speak entirely Hebrew. Nobody speaks Aramaic. Some of the Orthodox uh, Jews in the high orders of, the, of you know, priestly families may still speak and write Aramaic, but generally among all Israelis, it's Hebrew. And it was um, Aramaic, though, in Jesus' day and, and more than likely also here in, in Paul's day. And so he speaks here to them in the language that they would understand. Because they're Jews. Verse, verse 1 of chapter 22. Now listen, what he does here from verse 1 down through verse 21, I'm just going to read through this. This is basically his testimony. 
You know, we heard his testimony also back in chapter 9, the story of his conversion. But this is testimony. And he's, gonna, he's using this occasion. Here he is being arrested. He's being hauled off. He's been beaten up. The Romans have come to rescue him. And they hoist him up on their shoulders to try to get him away from the angry mob. They're taking him to the barracks. And he asks permission in Greek. Can I address the crowd? Since the crowd is Jewish, he's going to speak to them now in their, in their language. And this is his story. Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. And that Greek word for defense is apologia. Um, when you are an apologist, doesn't mean you say you're sorry for things. That's another meaning. But you're an apologist of the faith. It means you defend the faith. Um, so he's giving his defense. Verse 2, when they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. And then Paul said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city under Gamaliel. I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. By the way, Gamaliel is mentioned back in chapter 5, but it appears he's dead at this time. He was alive back in chapter 5, but now... Uh, he appears to be dead. He was known in ancient times as the great rabbi. He's also referred to in ancient literature as the glory of the Torah because he was that well respected as this great rabbi. And so Paul says, I was educated under this guy. Under Gamaliel, I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way, Christians, to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. As also the high priest and all of the council can testify, I even obtained letters from them to their brothers in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord, I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one. That's interesting. Isaiah 53, 11 refers to Messiah as the, my righteous servant. And to hear words from his mouth, you will be his witness. The Greek word for witness is martus. It's where we get our English word martyr. It means a lot more than what we think today. We think of witness. It meant you were prepared to lay down your life. You will be his witness, his martyr to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. And when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking. Quick, he said to me, leave Jerusalem immediately because they will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these men know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. And then the Lord said to me, go 
I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Okay, now this, this ends his testimony because it's that statement that infuriates the Jews. Because if they're not believers in Christ, they don't understand how Jesus died for all, Jew and Gentile. So when Paul says, yeah, the Lord told me to leave Jerusalem and to go minister to the Gentiles, they're like, Gentiles? Because in that day, they believed that Gentiles were only created for one reason, to be fodder for the fires of hell. That's it. So to a Jew, the idea that you would be going to Gentiles, that was offensive to them. And so, verse 22 The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. And then they raised their voices and shouted, Rid the earth of him, he's not fit to live. As they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the commander ordered Paul to be taken into the barracks. He directed that he be flogged and questioned in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. That's kind of a backwards uh, approach, but anyway... And as they stretched him out to flog him, Paul said to the centurion standing there, Is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? Whoa. He's using the Roman citizen card because he can. Because he is. And it says, When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and reported it. What are you going to do? He asked. This man is a Roman citizen. The commander went to Paul and asked, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am, he answered. Then the commander said, I had to pay a big price for my citizenship, but I was born a citizen, Paul replied. It's even a greater honor. And those who were about to question him withdrew immediately, and the commander himself was alarmed when he realized that he had put Paul, a Roman citizen, in chains. Let me just, uh, the next section actually leads into chapter 23, so I don't want to get to that. But I do want to just highlight three quick observations and challenges from Paul's life based here from chapters 21 and 22. And I'm going to mention these three things with a corresponding challenging question for all of us. I'm not going to take long on these, but here's the first one. He was tireless in his travels, even in the face of 2,500 miles. His third missionary journey alone. This guy traveled thousands of miles to share the gospel with as many people as possible. And here's the challenge to all of us. Question, how far will we go out of our way to share Christ? How far will we go out of our way to share Christ? Some of us won't even walk across the office where we work. Some of us won't even walk across the street to share with our neighbor. Paul travels thousands of miles to share with whoever he can. Here's the second observation about him. He was faithful in service, even in the face of adversity. I mean, here he is. He's told a few times, if you go there, they they might kill you. You shouldn't go. And and Paul says, I'm going to go anyway. I'm going to go because I'm going to go where the Lord tells me to go, even if it is met with tremendous adversity. And here's the question. When the going gets tough, how committed are we to live for Christ. Man, when I read through Scripture, I just always want to be reminded how easy we have it, friends. We have it easy. I mean, we really do. It's challenging when I think of all that Paul went through, and yet he, he did not shun from declaring the whole counsel of God's Word. He went wherever he could. He did whatever he could. He said whatever he could. And he was faithful to do it. And then here's the third observation about his life. He was bold in witness, even in the face of 
angry opposition. I mean, this is this is an angry mob here. They they literally are trying to kill him. They would have killed him if, if the Roman soldiers had not intervened. And the question for us is, how willing are we to share our faith even when it's not popular? May the Lord use Paul's life as an example and a challenge to us. There's much more to glean from the pages of Acts and the history of the early church, but we'll pause our journey through it for today. Join us next time as Pastor Gary continues to share the the power of the Holy Spirit with us. If you'd like to learn more about Cornerstone Connection, Pastor Gary, or the church these messages originate from, we encourage you to visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. Browse through our archive of previous messages while you're there. And feel free to share them with friends and family. Download our mobile app as well to keep God's Word with you as you go about your daily activities. Pastor Gary has also made available a study guide to accompany his series in Acts. You can find this digital booklet in companion resources under the Teachings tab. Do you live in the Leesburg area or will you be visiting in the near future? If so, we'd like to extend an invitation to join us for our weekly gatherings. We meet each Sunday and Wednesday to spend time in prayer and worship and studying the Bible. Visit cornerstoneconnection.cc for service times, more information, and directions. If you can't join us in person, don't worry. We live stream our services. Just click the link under the teachings tab. Thanks for joining us today. And be sure to tune in again for another edition of Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul. That you've got no place to go. But still you know.